another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Trial by Stone! This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone and this is episode 52 of the podcast. So, as you all know, this month I decided to release uh, four episodes of Trial by Stone. Um, it's said the usual one episode that I do uh, per month. And uh, I usually do them once a month just because it just gives me a lot more time to edit the shows and edit the interviews. But because I actually um, happen to have a backlog of interviews I recorded uh, quite a while ago, um, that I thought oh, I might as well just release them now and uh, just you know share with you all with all the things that I've been doing with Trial by Stone, which has been very exciting now with with all things Dark Crystal. You know, not only with the Age of Resistance happening, but also I mean we had. Uh, recent announcements with the Dark Crystal or Beneath the Dark Crystal, the new comic book uh, from Arkea that's happening, so which is very exciting, um, as well as the announcement of Tide of the Dark Crystal, the third book in J.M. Lee's in his young adult novel series. And also, don't forget, we have a Patreon page for the podcast. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, for just $1 a month, you can get early access to all our episodes of Trial by Stone, The Gathering Songs, and The Dark Crystal Minute. So, for example, I have all the shows for April on the Patreon feed right now. So, if you can get a chance to check it out, that'd be fantastic. I mean, otherwise, I mean, the episodes are going to continue to be free, of course. I'm just putting it as an option if you wanted to have early access to the episodes, um, then just for $1 a month, um, you can get access to those shows. And I'll also post up exclusive updates with with the podcast every now and then. So if you're interested, the Patreon page is at patreon.com forward slash Dark Crystal Podcast. And so, I mean, on this episode, as well as the next episode, is we're going to dedicate it to the Dark Crystal board game. So on this episode, we have Johnny Fraser Allen on the show. Uh, he worked on the Dark Crystal board game with sculptures of Jen Kira, uh, Skeksil the Chamberlain, and Skekung the Gartham Master, as well as contributed to some of the art for the board game. And I think he really did a great job with it. Um, if you haven't checked it out, uh, I mean, the Star Crystal Board game is by Riverhorse Games. And they worked on a couple of things. I know they worked on the Labyrinth of the board game that was uh, really uh, became really popular. And I think from the success of that, they decided to do, um, to do a version for the Dark Crystal, which was pretty cool. Um, so I got a chance to chat to Johnny Fraser Allen. Um, and I had a great time uh, chatting with him. And I, I'll just let you know that this interview was recorded uh, a week or two after the release of the board game. Um, just wanted to let you know about that in perspective. So let's go to the Bodling Village and chat to Johnny about the Dark Crystal and his work on the board game. All right, Johnny, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for being on this episode of Trial by Stone. Oh, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, we'll definitely chat about uh, your work on the Dark Crystal, the board game, uh, which has been out quite a number of, you know, a couple of weeks now, which is all very exciting to finally get sort of, you know, or have 
more merchandise from the Dark Crystal, and especially in the board game format. Um, but before we get into that, I, I guess I would like to know, uh, Johnny, um, how, how did you um, discover the Dark Crystal? When I was five years old, I went to my cousin's house and, you know, the, the adults had dinner and talk somewhere else and the, it's boring for the kids and the kids, you know, run about the house and do their own thing. And this particular time, my cousin um, put on in the same night, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, both taped off television. That was my first real memory at five of deciding what I was going to do with my life and everything. It was just one of those things where I had a, you know, a perfectly happy childhood and nothing to worry about. But I, there was something about Labyrinth and Dark Crystal that night that awoke something in me that I'd just much rather spend my entire life devoted to a fantasy world than the real world, I suppose. It was just much more interesting to me. And I know a lot of people found both movies scary at that age, and I can completely understand that. I don't feel above that fear or anything like that. Lots of other movies scared me, but there was something about those movies that just fascinated me and entranced me. I mean, I'm sure I was scared in terms of the dramatic pacing and, and, and build up of the film that, you know, that, that it carries you along. I mean, as if watching those films for the first time at that age wasn't magic enough, I also got to experience them in the age of video in New Zealand, which means that I didn't get to see them again for a long time. And when we did go to the video store, dad would take me to the video store once every every couple of weeks, you know, you, there was no such thing as home video. You could rent it or not. And if the video was rented, you had to find something else. And for me, even though dad would always say, are you sure you want this one again? I'd, I'd only ever rent either Never Ending Story, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, Harry and the Hendersons, or one, one of the three Storyteller videotapes. Sometimes an animation like American Tale, but I, it's the same thing where once every couple of months we we're allowed to rent a Sega and my brother would always get sports games, but I'd always get Jurassic Park or Ren and Simpy, anything, anything that was a, an escape. Simon, my brother, would read Tintin comics, but they didn't interest me at all because people and cars and trains and that I saw every day but I, in a modern setting, but I was always Asterix because I preferred shields and swords and villages and stuff like that. So for me, life was, as a kid, a constant escape from reality into a fantasy world. And I use the word escape. Not it's, Some people see that as, as quite a negative kind of thing, you know, like escaping, like it's um, not being able to cope. But to me, it's it's not so much that as opposed to like more like a prisoner escaping, which is a positive thing. You're, you're, you're running towards something better. And for me, something something better was just endless inventiveness and creativity, which is what you see in the Dark Crystal and, and Labyrinth. And I mean, it just, I was already growing up in, an, in the golden age of, of toys where because of how much money the Kenner toys had made for Star Wars and subsequently what Mattel did with the He-Man toys, every other company was making TV shows to sell toys, but that ended up with some amazing TV shows like Dino Riders and Ninja Turtles and, and Thundercats and all that kind of stuff. And I had all of these toys. My first job ever was at four, being able to choose the, the Thundercat toys from the catalog at my kindy. And so I grew up physically holding monsters my entire life, which led to a career in making monsters 
but it all started from that one night when I watched Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, really. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And I mean, that, that was the thing, I guess, like, I mean, those were the days, you know, going to those um, video stores, like, yeah, I always have a couple of memories, um, you know, visiting those stores and, you know, having to choose which movie to rent and whatnot. Yeah, for me, my hardest decision as a kid was um, if I chose the one, if I, because Storyteller was nine episodes broken on three videos. And if you chose the one with the Gruffle Hog, it means you couldn't see the Griffin. But if you chose the one with the Griffin, it means you couldn't see the Troll. And um, it's just torn between wanting to see these creature features. You know, but now, and, and, you know, you'd get to the good bits and it was all um, flickering and, and sometimes the tape was just stuffed beyond repair. Now, you know, you've got them all on DVD and now even DVDs are becoming obsolete. But um, and now that I've seen Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Blu-ray, I can never go back. No, no, and, and never can I. And, you know, you know, as we're recording, you know, we're weeks away from um, from the release of, you know, seeing the Dark Crystal in 4K, um, which I'm very, um, very excited uh, for it when it comes out. Because I have actually, I don't know, have you, have you had a chance to watch um, like Labyrinth in 4K, by the way, or? Not before. I've seen Labyrinth in almost every way you can see it. Um, black and white at the cinema, um, I've even watched it on a Wii U gamepad and everything. And oh but, wow, <laughs> um, I don't, I haven't seen it in 4K. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, every what was cool about both those films and, and Blu-ray is I, I see something new every time. And um, one of the best things about working on both board games for Labyrinth and Dark Crystal as the illustrator and sculptor is you think you know what you're looking at, and then you have to study every single angle of it to get it right in a sculpture and there's just so much more there than you even appreciated before and i was also like henson's linked me to like never before seen dropbox uh backstage images of, of every production shot of the costumes and and buildings and miniatures and everything and um for me who's just such a big fan of behind the scenes it was that was a real treat to, to see new stuff yeah, absolutely. So I guess yeah, you were you know when you uh, got on on board with the with the board game, and yeah, being able to have access to sort of those archive images to sort of you know as research and you know try and work out how to sculpt it into a three D you know sculpture sort of thing. I guess was probably yeah really you know ha- ha- really handy as part of the the process. Yeah, yeah, and because and because the other thing is I I I did watch your video actually. Um, on the Dark Crystal Sculpts. And I think you mentioned that you, I think you visited the Jim Henson uh, company, you know, and seeing like the Skeksis, you know, you know, for real and sort of really get a, a grasp for what they're like in real life and trying to translate into when you're doing your own sort of uh, sculptures with these uh, figurines with the board game. Uh, that was um, that was prior to working or getting the job on either Labyrinth or Dark Crystal. I, I was over in LA doing an uh, instructional video for Nomen. And, okay, um, yeah. and I, was, I was over there for a few reasons. And then um, I, I'd worked with Guillermo del Toro for a few years on his version of The Hobbit. And, and I, one of my good friends, Kevin McTurk, who's a filmmaker, puppeteer, and he's also, you know, he was one of the, he was the baby raptor getting born out of an egg in Jurassic Park and Hellboy's Tale and stuff. So he's worked with Spectral Motion and, and Stan Winston's and stuff. So I was visiting him at Spectral Motion, which is Del Toro's 
place that he uses a lot for all his monsters and stuff. And I was showing them some of my personal work that I've done on the gloaming and wandering woods, other creature sculptures and stuff. Um, and a friend of his there says, oh, you should go to Henson. And I said, I'd love to. And then one phone call later, um, you know, they'd booked on a tour with me with Peter Brook. And so drove out there. And um, But also I, I saw a screening of, of my friend Kevin's puppet movie um, that week as well at the Jim Henson studio lot. So there are two different places where I got to see all the different Skeksis and stuff. And and uh, three of the Henson's uh, kids were there, oh, were, you know, older than me, watching the film. And um, so there's a lot of history there, a lot of a lot of magic. Oh, that, 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 that is awesome, yeah. And um, I guess, you know, talking about, you know, with the Skeksis and all that, I mean, what sort of, you know, are they sort of like your, your sort of favourite characters um, from the film? Or? Uh, as a kid, they certainly were. Chamberlain's my second favourite movie creature of all time after Hoggle. Um, and I, I, I love the detail. Of, as I've got older, I just, I love more and more the mystics. I love both of the Skeksis and mystics. They're, they're still, they, they haven't been beaten, you know, 30 years later for originality. They're still the most original original thing whether um you know i understand how people have different tastes in films and how people wouldn't be interested in dark crystal but for me always blows my mind is that dark crystal especially is still the only movie ever made where every single thing is constructed i mean other than some obvious things where they brought in a few scenes with some real landscapes and and some and like a river scene that, and that they just set dress with some strange you know rubber plants and stuff yeah but, it's 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 funny you mention that because i think when i had cheryl henson on the show a couple episodes ago um she yeah uh, cheryl actually mentioned about um about sort of you know that there was some you know some fake plants you know that you know because we always had the um conception that everything was made by handmade and which is probably true for you know probably 95 percent of the time but yeah, get the occasional things where, yeah, things like that sort of, you know, put it on the set and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this film's like Avatar that have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, literally hundreds of millions of dollars more money to spend and hundreds of thousands of, well, tens of thousands of people on these digital effects and um, hundreds more designers than Dark Crystal ever had. And Pandora doesn't even come close to scratching the surface of the world of, of Thra, you know? I was just saying, it tries. A lot of people a lot of people try really, really hard. And before it became, an, it was announced as a Netflix series, which gave me a, a little bit more hope. Like, I, even though I'm going to be the first in line to see the next Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, I really, really don't want them to happen, and I never have. But And it's not because I doubt the prowess and capability of Jim Henson studio that is still, you know, time and time again, producing amazing stuff. I, it's, it's just the time and the system that, you know, I've worked in film for 15 years and I've seen, I've seen great projects fall over because the people that are paying for these projects are the producers and, and the people, people with the money that make the decisions aren't the creative. So you get a lot of non-creative people deciding, creative decisions for the creatives they're paid to make the creative decisions that they're telling them can't make those decisions 
and and that's across the board. That's happening on the biggest blockbusters you've ever heard of, right down to smaller films. Now, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal were films that happened in a time when um, a man at his at a height of his power of like blockbuster earning, uh, you know, where the Muppets was the highest grossing of all time, and these studios just said, you know, why would we tell this guy how to do his job? And basically, you know, a bunch of hippies were left to to explore their art form in their own time. Seven years with the Dark Crystal, about four or five with Labyrinth. And you captured magic in a bottle that I don't think could ever be captured again. Um, you know? And, yeah. and so you're only going to... In the same way that you can't capture Star Wars again, and they keep trying, and diehard fans pretend as hard as they can to themselves that, hey, Star Wars is back, when it, it really isn't, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I totally understand. Um, yeah, I mean, like, especially with Star Wars, I mean, like, I mean, I, I like for me, like, I, I do enjoy, you know with the recent films that they've done. But of course, it, I mean, it is one of those things where it's, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, to match it with the original trilogy um, with those films. And I guess that's sort of, I mean, you know, the, cons- I mean, you know, some concern from fans about whether the show is going to live up to, you know, to the film uh, to match up with the, the quality of what was done back, back in the, um, the late seventies and early eighties, um, so it's going to be really interesting to, to, yeah, watch and see how it all plays out. Yeah. Well, with that, with that crystal, I'm much more excited than I was because it's going to be Netflix. You know, I'm yet to see some, I'm yet to see a Netflix original that hasn't blown me away. And the idea of devoting 10 hours to a story set in Thra rather than two hours, you know, television is just getting much more interesting and, and able to invest in than than film yeah um yeah and, yeah because i mean these days yeah with television is just the, the quality of it is um you know almost in some parts yeah more you know superior to film uh i guess you know like having so many episodes to watch and being able to um invest in the characters and get to go through their journey so much more than yeah i mean what you could yeah with a two-hour film yeah yeah, I'm so um, and I know a lot of people that have been working on it, and um, you know, they've got a lot of the original people back, and um, so and, you know, and I've you know, I've heard Brian and Wendy are constantly coming in and making approvals, and um, and I, you know, I think everyone involved wants it wants it to be amazing, and so you know, I. I've gone. I've gone from spending, you know, ten years hearing every rumor that Dark Crystal or Labyrinth is going to have a single, and saying please don't, to to really, really looking forward at least to the Netflix Dark Crystal series. You know, I um, it's, uh, it's I think it's going to be really, really special. Yeah, I really think so too. And I think um, yeah, the collaboration with with Netflix and also the Jim Henson Company. Um, yeah, I sort of have a lot of um, high hopes uh, for the show, and I hope that it'll um, it'll succeed well. And yeah, I think you know will bring you know a lot of interest to the franchise. Because um, yeah, for me, I just I can just imagine just a lot of um, people that are sort of discovering the Dark Crystal for the first time through that show, and then sort of delve into all these other um, you know with the film and all these other books and um, a lot of other things have sort of come out since. So. 
yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really exciting time, and I mean, yeah, that announcement really just um came out of nowhere when they announced it back in um, May last year. So no, no, it's very very cool. What I'm excited about most, and I don't know that they're doing this. I just hope that they're doing this. It's, you know, because you're seeing um, you're seeing Skek Tech back in the trailer for one second. Yes, yeah. It's just, but his his costume is is yeah. I think it's gonna when you when we see the Skeksis and the Dark Crystal, it's it's at the absolute end of their reign and it's all shabby and stuff. So I think we're gonna go back and see them at the height of their powers. But we you know during the Gelfling genocide and all that kind of stuff. But w- what I'm excited about most is that they'll bring in new Skeksis, maybe, you know, seven or 10 new characters, which means seven or 10 new Uru. And I'm just, which, and because they won't be in the, the, the film we know, we'll know sometime that uh, they're going to, they're going to die in this battle, which is great because it, it kind of makes it like better course all, I didn't think would be any good, but it's so much interest. It's so much more interesting because you know what's going to happen to these characters, and like, oh, how how are they here, and how they're going to get there is really interesting. And the th- same thing could happen with Dark Crystal, except you could get these really interesting scenes where, you know, a Gelfling hero or a Podling scout or something that they've built up for a couple of episodes is about to get killed by this badass kind of like Darth Maul. Where did this guy come from? Sort of Skeksis, and then a, a Mister. A mystic comes in and sacrifices himself right in time, and that Skeksis who's about to lunge with a dagger disappears, or, or, or pass, pass, you know, dies or whatever. Um, just the whole uh, sacrificial chess game that that could come out of that as a story arc, uh, which was never, which was only played on once for a second when Skeksis falls in the the crystal chasm, and, and original film, and the other guy just spontaneously combusts. You know, which, which I thought was fan, fantastic. You know, uh, Chamberlain's hands gets cut, and then another a mystic's hand starts bleeding. I think um, if, if there's more characters to play around with there, that could be one of the real highlights of the TV show. Yeah, definitely. Because I think because um, I believe that there's like eighteen. I mean, when they split apart, there was eighteen Erskics and eighteen Skeksis. And then I was trying. I actually am just looking at the. Um, the encyclopedia and i know two two mystics and two skeksis have died so there's still um 14 uh possibly out there during um the events of um uh yeah with, with age of resistance i think uh i could be wrong about that but yeah yeah but yeah like you said definitely potential with um incorporating these you know characters that um with the misc with the mystics and the skeksis that we haven't seen um that weren't in the film but you know they're sort of present at that in that period of time um in their height of power and so i mean what you know with with the film with the dark crystal what would be sort of your favorite scene um from the film i love the set of mystic i love every scene i love mystic valley though the pod people um i love the gelflings discovering the ruins olga's ori always blew me away um favorite scene though um probably have to be something to do with chamberlain i i like the dining banquet scene um i I just love the politics of it all um i i guess maybe stripping um skexil of his robes and banishing him because it's so dark you couldn't put it in a i don't 
Seek the Dark Crystal as a kid's film, but but for want of better words, you couldn't put that in a family film now. It's it's hard to watch, and you don't think you're watching puppets for for one second, you know. Um, that that scene blows me away. I I love when you come back to Jen and he's in the swamp, and there's just those kind of scenes that put you in the world and just pan across a lot of um, flora and fauna, and it's hard to distinguish which is which. Um, just living, living, thought out ecosystem um, stuff really excites me. Um, I love the Gelflings, but they're absolutely the the least interesting thing in the film. Um, and I think I wouldn't say it was a mistake at all because I don't think there's any mistakes in a dark crystal. But um, you know, and it's it's. As the the film didn't do great at the box office because people struggled to and invest in it character wise. But for for me at least, I invest so much more in the creatures that are more creaturey because they look realer and express better. And I think if the if if the main creatures if the main gelflings uh, weren't bound so much to the fact that they the creators of the film felt that they needed to look human to to better connect with a human audience. I mean, at the same time, I haven't seen The Dark Crystal where that wasn't the case. It might really not have gelled as well either. But they're, um, they're, they're the only things in the film that remind me I'm watching a film. Yeah. Every other, every other and they're, they're still, they're really well done. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when I'm watching The Skeksis or The Mystics or Olgra, it's, um, it's, you're not watching a film anymore. No, you, know, you, you, know, you, you yeah, lose your suspension of disbelief when you see those characters, you know, yeah. To, it would almost life, be yeah. have David Attenborough narrate the dark still, you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty talk cool. Talk about yeah. documentary footage from Thra or something. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that would be pretty awesome if that ever happened or someone did a parody video, it'd be, yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, I, I did that myself with my own work, The Gloaming, which is... Um, this massive world they built up by by sculpting all these creatures and um, setting their own world in a story. Um, after it was finished, I got Stephen Fry to narrate uh, kind of a National Geographic on all of the creatures. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And, and um, it's just a really fun way of explaining the background thought that went into the story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. Um, and so. I mean, th- that was the thing, like, I mean, and, and how did you get, you know, involved, um, like, with Riverhorse games, with uh, the Dark Crystal board game? I know before, so I think you, you were involved with the Labyrinth board game as well. So I'm actually interested in, yeah, knowing how, how that sort of all came about. Well, I, I was, um, I, I've always been fascinated with board games uh, growing up, uh, the, the tactility of them and everything, and you know, I'm not much of a, a computer gamer, but when I do play computer games, they're kind of Zelda sort of games, which are like where you invest in a story in a fantasy world and, and solve puzzles anyway, which is, you know, what board games do that a lot of computer games don't. And uh, there's just the tactility of it. And um, and then when I, when I was 16, uh, a girlfriend of mine gave me a mint copy of HeroQuest for my birthday, which I always wanted because... My cousin, the same cousin that showed me Dark Crystal and Labyrinth in the same night, had um, 
had it and I never had it and he lived in a different city so I never really got to play it but I was fascinated with this hero quest <laughs> finally got a copy and painted it badly and got all my friends to come around and play and I was the dwarf I'm always the dwarf and then um we, we played through it and I just I, I couldn't believe how this you could build this world up in front of you and really not know what's coming around the corner and how much it, it requires an investment from the, the player um uh and it really invests the player and makes them part of the game, which, um, you know, more so than computer games or films or anything. And um, so that really got me into gaming. And then uh, three years ago now, the, um, Monolith put Conan on Kickstarter, and I'm a huge Conan fan. And it's not like I can stop playing games, but it really awoke something in me. And so I, I just, um, I just started buying and painting and playing these board games again, and it was. I kind of do everything a hundred percent. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, um, I've got thousands and thousands of miniatures and I can't play a game unless the miniatures are painted and everything. And, um, and I'm also an illustrator now prior. So I don't know, four, five years ago, I can't remember now. I'm not really great with a concept of time, but I, um, I, I've been working in film for 15 years now. So it was over a decade back then. And I, working on the gloaming and all my wandering woods and all these stories and illustrated projects, because I thought I work in film as a conceptual designer and a creature creator and stuff, because I love creating these things and telling these stories. But, um, and I've had lots of opportunities and film to do that. I worked with Spielberg and Del Toro and Peter Jackson and all these people and got lots of stuff on the screen and that's all very exciting, but you're always telling someone else's story, you know, and I still wanted to be creative, but I just wanted to do my own thing which, you know, not selfishly, just because it's what just yeah. gets me excited. Yeah, just to do yeah. something different and, you know, yeah, sort of your own sort of take. Um, it's not adapted or whatnot. Yeah, so I totally understand that, yeah. For, for me, that meant illustration. So I started really moving towards illustrate, illustration and I started a book series with Evangeline Lilly called The Squicker Wonkers. Um, and we did one book together and we were, you know, she had me on to... I was going to do all 17 books for her, but I got a little bit into book two and I realized um, it, it wasn't for me. It, it felt too much like film work again in the sense that, you, you know, you, I, I came up with the, like her, her book didn't have puppets or a wagon or anything, but I came up with these ideas of her story getting told through puppets in a wagon. Now, primarily that was for me to be able to draw what I want because that's how you get the best work out of me. Um, I stay interested. And so I did that. And by the, and so I got to create this whole rich world of the Squicker Winkers for her. And then when I realized I had to do that another 17 times but stick to the world, I'd already had fun creating it. It felt too much like film work. So I, I, I backed out of uh, doing any more any more work. The only time I ever regret that is like, it's like financial reasons. It's like, Oh, that I, I could use that money right now. But, but then I, I feel good for something. I, I feel good for the fact that like, well, if it's only for money, then that's, that's not why I want to be doing something, you know, so I need to be kind of creatively pushed and simulated. And, and so anyway, my point is I really thought illustration was, um, where I wanted to go with that. Um, and, but illustration, there's not, in terms of, for, for me at that time, my brain was limited to thinking illustration really was just for kids' books. And there's 
the reason why there's so many badly illustrated kids books is because there's no money in it, you know, and it's always left to, oh, my auntie um, is good at drawing cats. She could do your kid's book, you know. The, no one's really getting paid there. And the, you're either not getting paid or you're one of the greats, like Chris Grimley, you know, or, or whoever. But they're so few and far between. And, I, you know, I'd written a lot of my own books and started illustrating them, but the publishing route as well felt just way too much like the harsh realities of having to work for other people on film and so it's kind of at a, at a stalemate I was still creating all this stuff but it wasn't really going anywhere and then I started getting into to board games again in a really heavy way and I was driving to work one morning and I had this amazing idea of how the labyrinth as a board game would work and how the labyrinth could make the single greatest board game of all time in the sense that it's basically a board game already. It's snakes and ladders, one false move, you're back a few steps. You've got a, you've got the overlord sending out his minions. You have a team of four people that are, a, that's basically the dwarf, the barbarian, the wizard and the elf. You know, that's exactly what, what Sarah Hoggle, Ludo and Didymus are. And also, but it was mainly about how you get at these tiles and the board changes based on a threat level that, that Jareth builds up that can be spent on goblins or changing the map, and you've got 13 rounds in which to get there. None of this stuff is in the River Horse Labyrinth board game. But anyway, so I went to work and I Googled Labyrinth board game. I was like, how has someone not done this? And it was in the same week that River Horse had announced that they just got the rights to do um, the Labyrinth board game. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine, which is fine, because I, I couldn't have done my board game then anyway. I didn't have a board game company then, and I didn't know the ins and outs of it. But... So I Googled River Horse and, and looked into the company and saw that it was run by this guy called Alessio Calvator. And um, because since 16, I've been an avid collector and painter, not so much player, but definitely hobbyist of, of Warhammer. And um, I own basically every single Lord of the Rings miniature that there is because I was just obsessed with it. I mean, yeah that movie drove me to the film industry and I've been working there since as a teenager since and was a designer on the Hobbit and everything. So I was nuts about Lord of the Rings growing up. So, so I knew Alessio Calvator's name because I knew he had designed the rules for this game that I loved. Yeah. And because he worked at, he, well, he used to work at games workshop. Um, the, the, the two best miniature sculptures in the world are the Perry twins who did a lot of games workshop stuff, but now have their own company. And I'm friends with them because, um, you know, if you've got a hobby budget, you may spend $50 a week or something on, on a plastic set and some paints or whatever. But Peter Jackson's hobby budget is in the millions. So when Peter Jackson wants to play with his toy soldiers, he flies over the world's two leading miniature sculptors from England and has them paint his own New Zealand and ha have them individually sculpt his own New Zealand Anzac. Oh, right. <laughs> so there's over the over the years, I've worked at Weta. The Perry Twins have, have come in and out and worked at Weta a few times, making Peter Jackson his own wargaming army. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I work in a place where, you know, Prince Charles and Tom Cruise and Ridley Scott just walk around every other day. Um, but for me, the Perry Twins, they were my celebrities, you know, and I was there, you know, everyone else didn't know who they were, but it's like, oh, wow, it's the Perry Twins. And, and, you know, so I got to know them and then, I went over to Nottingham and stayed with them and toured around Games Workshop and, and stuff over the years, you know, so I built up this friendship. And so because I knew that they knew Alessio, 
I emailed the Perry twins my folio and said, look, you know, Alessio, he runs River Horse. Um, I've sent their company an email, but I haven't heard back. Um, could you send them this folio and, and, and this message, which, which was basically saying I want to do all the sculpting and illustrating for the Labyrinth board game? Because if I, if I couldn't control the gameplay, then I wanted to be involved somehow because the only thing I love more than board games is the Labyrinth. And I thought, you put those two together, I'm going to be really, really happy about it. And um, and so they did, and I got an email back with Alessio saying, yes, of course. And I, I thought it was... I, th I thought I had limited chance because I assumed Riverhorse would have their own in-game designers that they would have to give the work like Weta does, but they didn't. And I found myself, I found myself, um, you know, with this gig now to to do labyrinth uh, sculpting. But then um, I'm I'm always of the mindset that I'll just go even if I can't do something, I'll just do it and figure out how I do it along the way. So I've never sculpted a miniature in my life and uh, I've just landed the job to do all the miniatures for Labyrinth. And um, the, one of the main reasons I wanted to do the miniatures for Labyrinth is because, really the main reason is because I've wanted the miniatures for Labyrinth my whole life as a, as a tabletop board game enthusiast and as an enthusiast of Labyrinth. And I knew some, if someone else did them and they didn't do them right, you'd never get them again because and, and maybe you'd have to wait 10, 20 years till someone else picked up the license and, and did a better job. But I wanted them to at least to be to the level I needed them to be at in my life. And and I've sculpted big a lot of times, but even the three ups that I sculpted the labyrinth, I'd never sculpted in that size. But basically I could sculpt them in three ups because there's this really old process of how you get three ups to miniature. And I said, okay, I can do that. And so they said, can you just show us if you can do that? So I did Hoggle in kind of two and a half days, which was about the fourth time I'd sculpted Hoggle because I've done them in various sizes throughout the last 15 years. I've got a life-size Hoggle, fully costumed stuff in my in my office. And and um, so I did Hoggle and it came out pretty good and I showed them and they go, wow, this is great. And, um, and so I went on to do the others, but as I'm doing this, I'm looking into the 3D scanning and all the technology that I have at my whim through working at Weta Workshop in, in New Zealand. And we getting them to scan. Um, now, the, the quantum leap and difference between the scanning technology available between Labyrinth and Dark Crystal was so phenomenal that no, they didn't have, Riverhorse didn't have to clean up anything that I did on Dark Crystal. The print, the 3D print of the miniatures from Dark Crystal is basically my exact sculpt. I mean, the, the keen eye will note that the miniatures for Labyrinth are a bit different than the miniatures from, um, I, from, from from the three ups because a lot of work had to be done to the scanning information because it just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But um, as, it, as it turns out, um, we do photogrammetry now and um, I get every single detail with the dark crystal ones. Uh, anyway, so, so and, and then I did all the illustration for Labyrinth and stuff and, and the game came out. And it, wasn't, it wasn't the game that I'd, I'd hoped for uh you know, because Alessio wanted to make a game that families could play with their kids, and you know he succeeded in that admirably. But I'm, you know, I, I'm into the Star Wars Imperial Assaults and and, and the Zombicide Black Plagues and all those kind of games. And I felt Labyrinth really could have been, uh, um, it could have been a game for gamers as well as people that just nostalgically want Labyrinth merchandise. Um, 
which is why I, I started, I, I'm building a um, 18 foot modular um, tabletop 3D labyrinth at the moment, which I've almost finished. I just did a, a, a um, video of that with Adam Savage from Tested, which will be out soon. And, and anyway, and then, um, and then that, that all did its thing and then um, Dark Crystal rolled around and, you know, of course I, I, I took that. Um, I was quite busy by the, all of the money I made on, on Labyrinth went, went towards three things that went towards, uh, paying for my, my wedding, which was nice that like the Labyrinth helped pay for that. But, and then it, it went, it went towards funding this 18 foot Labyrinth. And then the rest went towards establishing my own company, which is Tabletop Troubadour. Cause I just, I, even though it wasn't my game, and I, I may have done things differently. The illustrating and sculpting and stuff on Labyrinth uh, just really kind of awoke something in me and, and kind of pushed me to to where uh, I realized that tabletop gaming was so much more interesting and rewarding um, than working in film. And um, Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that was the one of the things I loved about um, with the board game is with your sculpts, um, that they're just incredibly detailed. And, and it, it is really interesting how, yeah, like these days now with, yeah, with, free, with 3D printing, um, that even when you make something, you know, of a much bigger scale and with the 3D scanning and, and you know, going down to miniature size, that it still sort of retains that detail that you, um, that you created, um, which is, yeah, very, very cool, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, so, but by, by the time Dark Crystal rolled around, I'd formed Tabletop Troubadour, and which is why the logos on the box for the Dark Crystal and the and the Goblin expansions. But oh, yeah, it, see, they were never meant to be expansions for Labyrinth. But I had so much fun sculpting those characters that I ended up sculpting about twenty more, and um, and Riverhorse paid for some of them and have started to slowly release them. Um, you know, my the thing with the three ups though, like budget wise, I had two and a half days to sculpt each character for Labyrinth, and um, I work in a place where you get about six months to do a sculpture, and for for a collectible, and so they were never, in my mind, meant to be released as as collectibles, but then Riverhorse did, and um, you know, which is nice for people that want some sculpts, and I'm I'm, I'm proud of them as sculptures, and I. In terms of miniatures, I'm really proud of both Labyrinth and Dark Crystal miniatures. I, I feel like in terms of, of I, as a gamer who, who has thousands of miniatures and, you know, studies them, knows all about them, as a gamer, if I had brought the Labyrinth or Dark Crystal miniatures, I would be happy with what I got. Um, uh, but in terms of, like, likeness and quality and detail, but for collectibles when you know the three ups aren't the level of quality that i'd expect from a collectible but of course you know they're not going to put in brackets on the back of the box by the way this guy only got two and a half days he can do a lot better this doesn't represent his best work you know um nor would you want them to but the end goal was only ever for the miniatures the three ups are just for me i thought were just nice things i was going to have on, on my desk as, as an end result or, or or River Horse could make a wee display for their next Gen Con booth or, or, or something like that. 
anyways, um, and so I ended up putting a bit more a bit more detail into the Dark Crystal three ups than I did the the Labyrinth ones, but they're still not of collectible quality. But the minute um, the miniatures have come out even better than for Labyrinth um, for for those ones. But you know, again, I don't have any say in um, the quality of plastics used. I don't oversee any molding. That's all Rebel Horses end. I'm just I'm just a gun for hire contractor in, in terms of uh, just illustrating a, a project. But and so it's, it's when I went on to do Dark Crystal, I was super busy with my own projects, and I, I almost turned turned down doing it. But the the thought of seeing someone else do it was going to be so painful that I thought, oh, I'm just going to have to do it because I want to be the guy that does it, really. But one of the happy accidents of working on the Dark Crystal was um, when when Riverhorse limited the miniatures just to four in it, so, you, you know, you've got four players, four tokens, you can play as four miniatures. Um, quite accidentally, the colour palette, is, for each of them is primarily green, yellow, red, and blue. You've got the Chamberlain, who's all red. Um, the the Garth Masters, predominantly different shades of blue. Gens are in yellows, and, um, and Kira is, is green. So, um, you know, I, they, I think they missed a trick, really, and, and you could have done the plastics in that colour like old board games used to be, because they have the... Of, of more kind of 80s board games, um, which is kind of nice considering they're, they're, they're based on 80s properties. Um, but, um, you know, it, it made, I, I know everything was considered when they made the Dark Crystal movie, nothing's in there by accident. And considering they're the four primary characters, you know, I hadn't noticed in the film, but when you have to break down everything to that level when you're sculpting and illustrating, you realise that it was probably quite purposeful that those those characters that you see the most of have all their own different colour signature. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, I mean, that was the other thing that, you know, not only with the sculpting, but he also did uh, some of the, the illustrations um, for for the board game. Um, so was that like with illustrations, like with, with the with the board game itself, as well as like all the cards, all the characters that we, um, that we see? Or? Um, I... Anything that looks like it's been illustrated was me. Yes, um, yeah. I would have loved to have illustrated all of the card art and everything, but you know they, they had a budget and used had yeah, to use some crowds. Yeah. So any all the borders and the graphic design that are around the cards, I had nothing to do with. Um, basic, I, I I illustrated the main board, which was incredibly hard to do because it, it's such a rich world, and and I had to incorporate that all in one image. Um, and, and I had to make, sh just like Labyrinth, all, all, I got, all I got to work with was, you know, castle in the middle, top right corner, Bog of Eternal Stench, top left corner, Ludo's Tree, bottom, bottom right corner, the Oubliette, and bottom left corner, Hogwarts Gate. And so I had to make the Labyrinth work around that. And it was the same with, with Dark Crystal, you know, castle in the center, Mystic Valley there, um, the Aldra's thing there, and, and and so I had to place all that around. You know, which involved illustrating each individual 
scene and then putting it all together as a map and then printing that out at board size and, and tracing over that very carefully and then painting into that illustration, which makes it very hard for changes. And of course there were, you know, there were changes. Um, the only, the only changes the Henson company ever asked of me were on the dark crystal board and for, uh, the Gelflings and Jareth and Sarah. So, which is to show anything humanoid, uh, I'm not good at. I just don't, I've never sculpted humans. I have no interest in them. You know, it's, there's enough humans on the planet. So I thought, I've, ne I've, ne I've never bothered sculpting them. Um, so the goblins and the monsters came very easy to me, and I was, I've never asked for a single change on any of them. You know? Okay, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that, that was the thing, I, well, with the Galflings is um, they've always been sort of hard to sort of... Um, to, to, you know, to illustrate or to, you know, to even to design them as, you know, in, in general, like even with the making of the film, I know they went through a lot, um, you know, of concept art or, you know, just to get that right, um, the right look. Um, well, what so, I've yeah. learned from, from the Henson company, the thing that surprised me most is, um, well, like, first of all, I've got nothing but good things to say about, uh, the Henson Company's part in, in these board games. Like, I was personally emailing the people involved that are um, whose job it is to, you know, the head of licensing, like Jim Formanek and stuff, who whose job it is to make sure that when they do license a product, that that product reflects their property, has a has a mark of quality to it, and and and. You know they're they're really good at that, um, and and just, you know just really friendly and, and great to deal with, and, and they care about you know it's not just like Coca Cola where we need to sell this much product. They're they're keepers they're, they're keepers of the world's most creative flame. Oh, so when it came time to doing the Gelflings, Gelflings is such a strange thing because when you look at every other thing that Henson's has licensed on the Gelflings, and I mean everything from collectible toys to um to manga to to poster art whatever the the gelflings for some reason and i don't think it's out of embarrassment i think it is out of um because dark crystal is more real than real like you you've, there's watching dark crystal and then there's having a memory of dark crystal um and your memory of the gelfling is often a lot better than it maybe is as in as in practice. The um, you know, you when when you think when you if you stop and think right now of Jen talking to Kira, I'm sure there's more eye blinking and and muscles around the lips forming and all that kind of stuff, you know, because they're not they're not puppets. They're they're real. They're you know actors and if anything in this film, and. and um, and so everything you see of the Gelflings, it's always more humanoid is what I'm trying to get at. The muzzle, and they do have a muzzle, almost baboonish muzzle. It's always brought back, and they always look a bit more ghibli. They always look a, a bit cuter, a, a bit more like a girl in cosplay than an actual um, species. But for me, um, for me, uh, Gelflings aren't cute miniature people they're not halflings they're a species and 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 the same you know and drawing for me the drawing of a gelfling is more humanoid 
as a, as offensive because it's it's like it's like drawing a pug and saying here's a picture of your Labrador. It's like well it's a dog. They're both dogs, but it's completely different. And but I I, I noticed that Henson's always pulled the muzzle back in terms of anything they'd ever licensed. So I went when I started sculpting the Gelflings, I brought it back about ten percent on my first pass anyway, you know, and I thought I'll make it how people see them. And um I kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And not not and you know again I can I I can only say that Henson's are a treat to work with because they care about their property. But you know and when I say it's, it was, I don't say it's a surprise in any negative way. But if if you compare the the approved miniatures and sculpts for the Dark Crystal board game, or even the Funko Pop, not Funko Pop, what you know, the, those a reaction, 80s, the, the reaction, reaction figurines, yeah, yeah. When you compare those to the actual movie, it's upwards to fifty to sixty percent that the muzzles, and they are muzzles, but that have pushed backwards to make them look a bit more humanoid you can be a side profiles you know and they're almost like you know they're like the shot an american werewolf in london you know they've got big snouts on them and um and and so that that they got pushed right back um and you know you you, you you've got to do what's suggested otherwise it doesn't go ahead and you don't get paid um but there, you know there was no push at all on the the skexies or you know Hoggle or Sudidimus and, um, and 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 Ludo and stuff. I mean, that's what one of the great things that's that's come from working on these, other than forming my own company, is um, people's reactions. I, I got a one of the best emails I ever opened in my life was from Dave Goles, who was the one of the performers for Sudidimus, and Gonzo, who was my favorite Muppet growing up and still is. And you know, he was saying that he loved the work that I did on labyrinth I've, I've opened up an email from warwick davis saying that he loves what i did on labyrinth uh, he told me the characters he played and who his stepdad played and 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 uh, not stepdad sorry father-in-law played and um you know and so people to me that are heroes um you know have haven't have enjoyed what i've done and, and you know at the end of the day i did it just for me i wanted I, I wanted to sculpt all the characters from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal my whole life, but that's a lot of work. And I've got a lot of projects on how do you warrant that? But if you can turn it into something career related, then I can warrant doing that work. So it's been a lot of fun. And when I'm when when I'm doing the, the card art and the board illustrations and stuff, I'm basically getting paid to do fan art, you know? Like it's 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 a really enjoyable enjoyable thing that break down those characters and shapes and the color palette and do them in, you know, one of my illustration styles. Yeah. That, no, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, like I really enjoyed, yeah, with your sculpts and, and the artwork that you provided for the board game. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible work. So, um, we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I just want to say, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show and, um, and how can listeners uh, find more about your work? Uh, well, following, um, Tabletop Troubadours Facebook page. There's some really big announcements coming up there. Um, we're quite active on that. Um, we're, we're working on 10 projects currently that are going to be out in the next between one to, to three years. So there's that. Like, that's the best way to, to follow us. 
All right, excellent. And I'll and I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you for being on the show, Johnny. Awesome. Thanks, mate. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry. At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls. To the crystal chamber. Now that's all the time I have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. You can check us out on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. We also have a Patreon campaign happening with the podcast. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash dark crystal podcast and if you can give us a review on facebook or on itunes that'd be greatly appreciated i hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next time for more trial by stone